Welcome to Come Along for the Ride, where we love to bring consciousness to the horse world and thus making the world a better place for horses. I'm your host, Tracy Malone. I was born on Wiradjuri country and this podcast is brought to you from Turrbal and Yagara country. I'd like to recognise the first Australian's custodianship of this country for tens of thousands of years and their connection to land, water, community and our sacred animals. I am grateful to elders past, present and emerging. I have great pride to live on country where the oldest known human beings tended to this land. To the conscious horse people who came before me to lead the way. To those who stand beside me in our community now. And for those who will continue after we are long gone. I'd like to say thank you for being a part of the global change we are making to the welfare and training of horses. If you'd like to support the podcast and all the work that Lauren and I do, then you can. Just head on over to patreon.com slash come along for the ride podcast and sign up. From as little as a cup of coffee a month, you can help me keep this podcast going. There are many tiers that you can choose from. And if everyone who listens gave only $5 a month, it would make a massive positive difference to me. There is a tier in there for small business subscription, just like the one Peter Papp took up from Peter and the Herd. This is the one where your business gets a mention each podcast episode. Peter works with equine behaviour and trauma recovery, equine communication and human and horse relationship building. Peter has had communication with my mare Gypsy, who was the mare with me in the podcast picture. And he was spot on about everything in there and he helped me a lot. So I can highly recommend his work personally. Peter has also helped some of the listeners of this podcast, all of those who speak very highly of his work. You can contact Peter by looking him up on Facebook under Peter and the Herd, or you can go to the show notes and follow the links there. It's time to give a huge shout out to our amazing new Patreon subscribers that have joined us in the last two weeks. To the wonderful Jana Maddox, thank you so much. To the amazing Jessica Ryan, thanks for joining us. And to the incredible Sammy Fletcher, a beautiful friend of mine, thank you so much for signing up to Patreon and supporting this podcast. In this episode, I speak with Anya Biaran. Anya is a classical dressage trainer who grew up believing classical dressage was the only way to ride. So when she saw modern dressage, she was shocked to see how they rode. If you've ever wondered the difference between classical and modern dressage, then this is going to be a great learning moment for you, as it was for me. Anya tells me that horses were originally trained for fighting, and to fight, your horse needed self-carriage. Riders needed one hand to hold the sword and to fight. So their horse needed self-carriage as the rider. Um, was only using one hand for the reins for these complex moves and that is um, amazingly what classical dressage is among other things we talk about all the things that they are Anya videoed the best modern dressage horses in the world and slowed the video down to show us all that the movements they were making and how they were executed are not really true to form certainly not to classical form We talked about how in modern dressage comps, the horse who is best ridden does not win. It's the horse who is the best natural mover, who may not be ridden as well as the others, that wins. 
everything seems to be a little bit in reverse. I asked how in the world we can begin classical dressage competitions to overtake the modern dressage competitions because that's something I would enjoy watching. We talked about how much change that would realistically take and could it ever actually happen. Anya also talked about that she believes there is no such thing as an unwilling horse and how we as humans can do so much more for our horses just in the way we train and how we think when we train, if we understand this one thing that she wants all of us horse people to know. Anya has online courses now and if you've ever wanted to try classical dressage, go to her website and have a look as there are a few courses to choose from. There are comprehensive ones and also ones that are broken down to just the canter for example. And if you think you have the wrong kind of horse for dressage, then listen as well because we discuss that too and you might be pleasantly surprised. This was an inspiring talk and I do hope it is one that can plant the seed and bring about real change in the dressage world for all horses involved. Here is Anya. Anya, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Yes, thank you for inviting me. Oh, it's a pleasure. Could you first tell me a little bit about what it is that you do? Yes, for more than 32 years now, I try to train horses in a classical way and I prefer classical dressage and I run my own training center with about 52 horses and we take all kinds of horses. I started uh, in the beginning with many horses from Portugal, Lusitanos, uh, but then over the years it changed. We took many different kinds of breeds, uh, of course the German warm blood, Arabs, uh, many different kinds of horses and uh, actually I have a new love is a Russian horse is uh, a Haltekiner I have two horses like this actually and yes we train them as well wow I've got so many questions just from that little intro you've given me but let's start <laughs> at the beginning so you grew up with horses did you Yes, more or less, because my mother was riding too, and we had a Frisian, and when I was a child, I had an Arab, and um, we made most of the time hacking, and um, then little by little, for me, it was too boring to go out every um, afternoon after school, always the same ways, always the same forest. And so little by little, I was searching for something more interesting. And um, I found a teacher who had a Lipisana stallion and he was very classical, this man. And uh, so I started to learn with him. And at the end, nowadays, I have to say it was a very good start because he put me in the, on a good way immediately. And what does that mean? And, and what was it about him that gave you the more that you were looking for? Yes, because when um, I watched him, I always saw him riding almost without aids. You couldn't see the aids, but the horse was doing Piaf Passage, flying changes one by one, pirouettes. And I was really fascinated of this. And then he teached me to do all the things very calm with a lot of patience 
And um, at the end, I also realized his horse, he died with 29 years and he was riding him still when he was 28 years old. So um, I discovered this kind of work, even the horse knew a lot of uh, different schools and was really trained to a high level. Uh, it seemed to be healthy for the horse because he was very, very healthy, the stallion. And um, yes, that made me thinking a lot. Mm, absolutely. And so he took you on and your life changed from there on. How old were you at that age, did you say? Oh, I think 11 or so. Oh, wow. <laughs> very young, very young. Wow. Yes, he taught me a lot. He even taught me to ride with a um, double bridle and to have three reins in one hand and just the rein of the snaffle in the right hand, like they do in the Spanish riding school of Vienna. And like almost nobody nowadays is riding or taking the reins in this way. So it was really very classical. And it was him who sent me when I was only 15 years old. He told me, if you want to ride um, more, uh, more horses on a high level and to go deep inside into this classical dressage, uh, I should travel to Portugal. And as my mother, she was riding too, she was interested. So I went with my mother to Portugal and yes, then it was made. <laughs> Wonderful. It's time for a very quick break because there's something really important that I'd like to tell you about. Another of our small business subscribers for this podcast is the Heart Horse Box. Heart Horse was created by friends Tista and Charlotte who found a beautiful spot to place themselves in the horse business world. They have created a safe online community environment outside the noisy world of social media where you can dive in and speak openly with heart-minded, conscious horse people of all disciplines and breeds. This membership includes live seminars and classes from equine experts from all areas of the equestrian world. They also have the beautiful Heart Horse Box subscription. I do love this one as it's centred around you. The conscious horse person receiving nourishing gifts for you as heart horse understand that you are already taking amazing care of your horse and they want to make sure you are doing the same for yourself. I am thrilled to let you know that if you go to hearthorsebox.com and use the code Eden River, you will receive a 25% discount on your first month of the heart horse community membership that one is international that's one for everyone in the world you may also like to check out their heart horse podcast it's another great free resource from the heart horse team you may even find the episode where i was a guest on their podcast talking about my life with horses and how this podcast and the conscious horse movement came about the links are also in the show notes and can you tell me about the reins? I have not heard of the three in one hand and one in the other. Um, yes, the idea is you have the uh, two reins of the curb in the left hand and the rein of the snaffle also. So you have three reins in the left hand and in the right hand you have just one rein of the snaffle. And the idea is that in, in a short time you can give this rein from the right hand to the left also. So you have four reins in your left hand and you have one hand free, for example, for a weapon or something else to do. 
And then little by little, you throw away the reins of the snaffle and you just uh, work your horse at the end of the training. When he's really completely trained, you just ride him with the curb reins, with one hand, of course. Wow. And this three to one is the perfect preparation because another idea is that the curb um, is not broken in the middle, no, the bit, the curb is fixed. So the curb reins should always have the same length. And if you ride them, if you have them in your left hand, you put the hand really in the center of the neck, so in the middle, and the curb reins should always have the same length left and right, because only then you have a clear uh, and, uh, how do you say, equal influence on the horse's mouth. Mm. That's, that's the reason. Beautiful. And so what happened when you went to Portugal? Who was in Portugal? Yes, of course, there I uh, fell in love with the Lusitanos, of course. And I had the chance to ride many, many different horses. And I was really surprised because not like the schoolmasters here in Germany, they just knew walk, trot, canter. And in Portugal, the schoolmasters, they knew everything. Piaf, passage, flying change, half pass. So I was able to learn a lot. But the pity was there, everybody was riding with the uh, reins, two reins in the left and two reins in the right hand, as they do nowadays, uh, the, the people who compete. And then I lost this three to one. What uh, I think uh, up to now is really a pity. Mm. But of course, I learned other very, very important things. And I had the chance to develop a lot. So nowadays, <laughs> I ride with two and two reins still um, is uh, for me now a little bit more easy as I have many, many very difficult horses to train. I often get the horses when nobody else wants to ride them anymore. So if you ride with the reins two by two is a little bit more, more easy, I think. Mm. And when you get these horses that nobody wants to ride, have they been in dressage for a long time and just gone a bit sour? And have they come from modern or people doing classical on them? Um, it depends. When they have been in training for a long time, they often move like camels. They have um, vices like rearing or running. Actually, I have one who is running away. And uh, many of them put the tongue out of the mouth. Um, this is not um, dangerous, but it's really a bad habit. And um, another type of horse I get very often, um, these are young stallions, just three or four years old. And they made um, the test to be a stallion who is allowed to cover mares. And the problem is these tests here, I think in all Europe, but especially in Germany, they are too early. The horses, they make the test, the stallion, with two and a half years. So many of them are written already with two or one and a half. Ooh. And this is really too early. They are, if you say like this, they are still childs. They are in the process of growing. They change teeth and everything. And uh, people start really to work them. And it's not a little bit riding. It's really a preparation for the test. And they get a lot of oats that they get muscles and so on. And there you have many, many of these stallions 
who are um, lame when they are three or three and a half. And they call it, I don't know the English word, is diffuse lame. So the vets don't find the reason. But the horse is lame one day in the front, next day in the back, and they don't know where it is. They make x-rays and everything, but they don't get it. And I have many, many stallions like this. And the truth is, with a good gymnastic and a very classical way, and if you give them time, uh, you get them again in a, in a good condition. And do you, when you get these stallions and they're still very young, do you do most of your work from the ground or do you continue riding them? It depends. Um, I try to, to do it from the ground would be good, but many of them are really tall. It's one meter 78. Wow. I think you, you make it in feet. I don't know how Hands, tall it is, but yes. it's really tall, tall, warm blood stallions. And, um, it's not comfortable to make them in hand. So I prefer to uh, work them with my first rider on. And um, she's very experienced with these horses. And I help from the ground. So even with the, with the whip, I can help to move them by side, overstepping, rein back, all these things. And we do it together. And this is most of the time the, the more comfortable way for the horse and for me. And do you find once you bring them in and start changing them that their body changes and that they begin to relax a lot more? How, what's the change you see in them? Yes, they start to relax. Um, one very important point is that we don't use any auxiliary reins. So in the beginning, the horses are completely lost with their necks. They don't know where to put the neck. They fall down, they uh, throw the neck up, they move left, right. They are really like a little bit, yes, because they are lost, like a little bit nervous with the neck. And uh, second reason is that we don't close the nose band because nowadays it's fashion to close it really very strong and they make pressure on the horse's mouth. They can even not move the tongue. So they are very, very contracted there. And if you don't close the nose band, they start to play with the bit and move the, the mouse left, right, and things like this. So you have to give them a lot of time uh, to relax and um, to get used to this new situation. They can carry the neck completely free. They can use the tongue, the mouse, and uh, that's all new for them. And many horses, when they come, they make a noise with the T's. And little by little, uh, all this is going away, but they need time, of course. And as they are young, you cannot work too much because they are written almost every day. And we, with the three and a half, we write him three or four times a week, 20 minutes. Mm. And I think that's one thing that we really need to understand is time. You know, things yes. take they take time. So how much time for a, a basic horse who comes in with these issues, how much time does it take for him to really relax and get into his body and you first start seeing those signs that he's, um, that he's responded? It, yes, it depends a little bit of the mentality of the horse because the muscles and the body is one point. You can give gymnastic to this. But some horses, they are deep inside really stressed, completely stressed. And others know, they say, okay, it was a hard time, but now I'm fine. And um, with these horses, it's much more easy. You maybe need one year, but you have others, you need three or four years to get this out. And that's why I love classical dressage so much, because what we think 
traditional horse people and even conscious horse people think should take maybe a month. It takes you guys a year to three years. Like you talk in years, not weeks or months that the, no. that the normal horse world does. It's so refreshing. Imagine what is a month in a life of a horse. A month is nothing. Mm. And the horse was not trained in a, let's say, bad way or, or not horse friendly way for one month. He has already, when he's coming here and he's three years old, he has minimum one year of hard training. Uh, in his life so yeah. you need minimum the same time to get the problems out minimum and how do you see the horses in their mind respond are they do they have a sense of relief are they grateful do they say i don't understand what's going on how do you how do you see them change in the beginning of course they don't understand but then i feel that they are very thankful um, because little by little they understand I'm not working against them. I don't want to get the best out of them now. I help them to control their bodies. I help them to find their balance. So every day I try, I try. When they go out of the arena, they should feel a little bit better physical and physically and they should um, be more happy and more proud of themselves every day a little bit more so i try that they never go out uh, completely sweat and tired and they think oh it was hard work no they should go out and they should have the feeling ah uh, this lady she's trying to help me i feel better i can move better i'm more relaxed she's friendly with me so in this way the, the horses react very well after a while Mm, I imagine they're very grateful to, to be able to come to you. <laughs> you spoke in the introduction about starting with Lusitanos, was it, and then moved to every kind of breed. What difference do you see working with different horses and in dressage? Yes, the, um, I have to explain that when I came to Portugal and all the horses made almost high school movements, I thought, of course, uh, it's the Lusitano who can do this and other horses not. Because I was a child, I thought, okay, um, it's the, the kind of breed who makes this possible. Uh, but little by little, I discovered, because when I was back here in Germany, I got, of course, halflinger ponies and different horses. And I tried to move, to make my lateral movements in walk and trot. I tried to put them a little bit in piaf. And suddenly I discovered they work as fine as the other horses and they can do the same movements. And then I tried it with several breeds and discovered it's not um, classical dressage is not dependent of a breed, of a special breed. Classical dressage is the most healthiest and horse friendliest way to train a horse. Uh, doesn't matter what kind of horse. And do you get a similar movement, even though they're different types of horses? Because a lot of people here in Australia, when I talk to them, they, they choose those breeds because they will get the movement from that horse. Can you get it from almost any horse? Yes, you get it out of every horse because look, a piaf is a natural movement. Um, is the stallion who wants to impress the mares makes piaf in, if we 
see it like this. So it makes a, a thoroughbred stallion, makes the same like an Andalusian stallion. Of course, the Piaf maybe looks a little bit more uh, with the front legs a little bit more high in the of the Andalusian and the thoroughbred has a different way to move the, uh, the front leg, maybe. But it's a diagonal movement. The horse is jumping one, from one diagonal to the next, is on place and is collected. So if we see the nature of the horse, we, we take all the high school movements out of the horse's nature. And uh, it's not dependent of the breed. But the Iberian horse, very often is very comfortable to sit and they have very often a very nice neck they are not too long so it's maybe a little bit more easy to put them um it's no it's not more easy to put them into these movements but it's more comfortable maybe to sit on them and you still look good uh, if they have the neck high and round and they move uh, fine and you you can sit very well. So this is maybe the difference. But it's as easy to get a Piaf out of a Wormblut like uh, out of a Lusitano. For me, it's the same. Beautiful. And what about the Halflingers? <laughs> I have some Halflingers with a really spectacular Piaf in Passage. Really, really better than some of the Wormblutts I have. Wow. Biting bugs are a pain for you and your horse. If you'd like some natural and ethically made relief for your horse, made by me, then head on over to EdenRiverEquestrian.com and grab some of the natural horse spray. There are two blends. The Kiowa blend may assist in keeping insects off your horse. The Gypsy blend was formulated to assist in repelling insects and also supporting the healing of Queensland itch and other wounds on your horse. If you head on over to EdenRiverEquestrian.com and use the code COMEALONGFORTHERIDE, all one word, lowercase, then you will receive 15% off your order. Get your horse some relief now. Did you ever have an introduction or um, see uh, the modern dressage? Did you ever have a run-in with those? Yes, of course. When... I, I, I was then already in Portugal and of course when I had school, <laughs> no holidays, I was here at home and I was riding in a normal stable where the other girls made everything, uh, show jumping, dressage a little and I started to compete too. I made a little bit show jumping, I made dressage and um, I was never happy with this because I saw so many uh, children just using the horses with very short reins and using spurs and they want to win and I saw parents they told the children ah if with this horse it doesn't work we buy another one for you and I saw how they sell the poor horse because for me when I was child the horse was a friend so impossible for me uh, to imagine the horse uh, can be sold and but I saw this um, with other young people and I thought mm, this is not my way and that's why I returned or I preferred then to travel to Portugal and uh, to train in a very different way. Mm. I was looking at your bio on your website and it showed that you first learned how to ride horses with uh, with no bridle. 
<laughs> yes, I made this too. Of course, when you are young, you want to try everything because that was always. Um, I was very fixed very early on classical dressage, but I always looked left and right. I looked to the Western riders. I tried to ride without bridle. Uh, I tried to ride without saddle. So I was trying everything. And um, at the end, I always returned to classical dressage. Mm. Yeah, I, I think it's... Um... I think it's the one discipline in the world that is there for the horse, not the rider. Yeah. Mm. And it could be the base for everything, you know. You you can go with the horse later just hacking or you can go eventing or whatever you want. But if you give him a good classical dressage, basic training uh, is good for every show jumper and every kind of horse. Yeah, I, that's that's what the one thing I've learned that I didn't know since starting this podcast, and I'm 80-something interviews in now, is that classical dressage is one of the best foundations you can give your horse, no matter the discipline, no matter if you're just hacking out. It, yeah. it really is the one thing that you can give to your horse. And, yeah, um, yeah it, it seems to be quite amazing. Yeah. How popular is classical dressage where you are now? Um, was it, it always popular? Did, did, so, so tell me the story of classical dressage. Was it something that shrunk and then grew again or has it always been big? No, it was not always big because I thought it was the normal way to ride uh, maybe 50 or 60 years ago. There was no other way to ride. Even when I see old photos of people who competed, it was very different to what we see nowadays. And then I thought little by little, it got lost uh, because of the competition world, because they started to make the movements more spectacular and they tried to catch um, public and so on. And then they lost a little bit the, the classical way. And um, nowadays we have the situation that for me, in competition world is really lost the classical dressage but there are more and more people who realize that there is something wrong more and more and they return to classical dressage but i think we need about 10 or 15 years more until uh, classical training has again the the importance that it should have yeah, it's um, it's amazing the amount of people who know the difference, at least now. Um, dressage is not just dressage. There is classical and modern, and uh, they're two very different worlds. But it's wonderful see, to see classical making such a comeback. Yes, it's a pity. And if you see, I made a DVD, um, Training, Training Your Eye. Mm -hmm. And um, there we have, um, we compared for example, a classical Piaf and a modern Piaf, a classical passage, a modern passage. And uh, you have also the situation with the nose bands completely closed. You have the thing that they prepare the horses for Piaf passage with auxiliary reins, with the neck very, very deep, the head sometimes between the front legs, and they try to make the background like this. So the good way is lost and you can see this uh, very well on my DVD, Training Your Eye. 
And um, if you see the movements there in slow motion, in the beginning, even I was completely shocked because I knew there's something hmm, not so correct. But when I saw it in slow motion, I was shocked. Wow. And why did you decide to do that? Yes, because um, I was interested myself because I always have seen there's something wrong. The Piaf, they sell you as a Piaf, is not really Piaf. It's another movement. It's not diagonal, it's on the forehand. Uh, the group is the highest point often. The horses are not active. They are not brilliant. You see the riders using a lot of spurs, reins short, red head. So many things I don't like. And then I thought, hmm is completely different. It doesn't look like a Piaf, for example, you see in Vienna or so. And um, then we made movies of horses in good Piaf with the rider sitting very straight, long leg, doesn't move. The horse with the pole is highest point, uh, the nose straight or a little bit forward even. And then we catch movies out of uh, horses who are uh, world champion and so on. And then we compared this and then you saw really, we have seen really a big difference. Wow. So you didn't choose just the dressage other stable down the road. You chose world champions. No, no, just the best. We have um, just horses who are European, uh, took part in European championship, world championship, uh, horses like this. And um, the good is I have a, we have a foundation and this foundation is trying to protect classical dressage. And um, they helped us because it was, of course, a lot of money to make these movies. Mm. Uh, they uh, supported this and made these movies. And now I think nowadays many, many writers have a lot of profit of this, of these videos. Yeah, what a wonderful idea. That's, that's a brilliant video to make. And um, where was I going next? I had one in my mind. How many, that's what I was going to ask. I remember now. Thank you. It's come back to my brain. Competition wise, I don't know anyone who rides classical dressage that actually competes. Is there a space for competition in the classical dressage world or do you have to ride modern to be able to compete? Um, there should be space. It's a pity that there is not, because there's another point of view. Um, if you want to compete with success, you are very, very dependent of a very, very good moving horse. And that's the problem. So it's not always the best written horse that makes the first prize. It's very often a horse, maybe not really good written, but a very spectacular mover. And he gets high points on the trotting extension and so on. And at the end, this horse is in, on first place and is not the, the horse that is really best written of all. And that's another problem. Mm. Is anyone starting up a, a, a different... Maybe it's time for people to start uh, dressage competitions. Not that it's, and the wonderful thing is, most people that I meet in, who do classical dressage really don't need to compete. Um, but I, I say this more for the world of of people mm. watching more so than even those involved. Is um, 
is anyone thinking of starting up a, a, a classical dressage competition alongside the modern to, to see which one takes off in the end? Yeah, it would be good, but I think it's um, very, very difficult mm. because you need a lot of time to go there. You need a lot of money. You need more uh, very, very good horses, not only one. And uh, then you can try, but... I think as um, the way the judges today watch the, the test, uh, it's a little bit different to what classical dressage means. For example, classical dressage was there that the horse is completely in self-carriage, that you can have at the end the reins in one hand and you have the other hand free to do something else. Uh, in the past was to fight with the right hand. And you cannot carry the horse's head and neck when you want to fight with your other hand because you need all your energy and strongness for your right arm and hand that is completely free. And the horse has to be in self-carriage. Nowadays, they want always contact. They have the reins very short <laughs> and they want contact, contact, contact. And if you give a little reins, uh, you get less points. Yes. But this is wrong because... Even Lagerinia was the first who has written, is very important and it's a, it's a test for the rider and how the horse is written. In a moment of collection, he, he created this descente de main et des jambes. It means that you should give up the contact with the reins completely, completely, and you should do nothing with your legs too, just sit. And it's a test for you if your horse is really dependent of your seat and independent of your reins. So it means the horse is in self-carriage and is in balance and is really full of energy and is working for you. And you just control the horse for a moment with your seat. And um, this thing of La Guerinière nowadays doesn't exist anymore. So for me, in a Grand Prix, it would be very, very important that, for example, in Piaf, the riders should throw away the reins for, for example, five steps and should very, sit very calm, don't move. And the horse should really continue brilliant in a very brilliant Piaf in his work. And that was in the past important to survive, that you have your horse dependent of the seat. Nowadays, no. If you give up a little the reins, you get less points. And this is not correct. Mm. So Just we, one example. Yeah, we, we have to find the judges first. And yes. change judges change from there first, and then uh, and then it can come through the riding. Yes, I think so. Imagine the scores if they were judging on that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And this year has been a bit of a change for you. You've been able to do a lot more online. How has COVID affected what it is that you do? Yes, um, the work at home never changes. <laughs> so we always have a lot of work at home on our farm. We have to ride many, many horses. We have lots of work with all the other animals as our foundation um, is there for, um, for protect other animals too. So we have always a lot of work. But of course, the clients, they could not come for lessons than before. And I could not make as many lectures and clinics outside. So that changed a little. And that's why we offered an online course about lateral movements. We made it first just in German language, but then we had so many riders 
uh, who send us emails, ah, please, we want to have it in English. So we have it in English language now too, this online course. And uh, people, uh, I was surprised because first I thought, hmm, I don't know if it makes sense. But uh, people, they loved it and they had a lot of profit of it. As we explained all lateral movements in the beginning from the ground, we, we, have, we explained the work in hand with different horses. And then we made all the movements in walk, in trot, in canter, also with different horses, horses who just start, who know it a little bit better and horses who are almost perfect. And uh, the riders say it was so helpful for them. And some of them have sent me videos from before and after the course and was really a big difference. How, that sounds like a lot of work. How long did it take you to make that video? Um, about six weeks because it was in the first uh, shutdown. We had a lot of time, a lot of time, <laughs> but it was yeah. um, yes, better than normal. And then we just focused on this because we have not been sure how long maybe nobody can come to us and take lessons. So we've been very focused on this and in six weeks we organized that. And um, I think now I'm happy because it was really, really helpful for so many riders. Mm. And um, I also offer, of course, online lessons. And even I gave lessons in Australia. The girl, she sent me videos and then I speak on this video and send it back. So that was also another way to handle the situation. Yeah, I've noticed that with COVID, a lot of the people like yourself who were so busy doing lessons and clinics and that was their full time, they didn't have the time to stop and do online. And now the reach has become massive and, and very yeah. big all over the world just because of COVID. So whilst it's been... Um, you know, so difficult for so many people in so many ways. It's also brought a lot of positives through the horse world. Yeah, it is. And it helps that you've got 50 plus horses in your barn to make a video. Yeah. It's <laughs> yeah, a lot of enough horses. horses. <laughs> and they have time to film them. So, <laughs> do, so yes. how many riders do you have for those 50 horses? So I always had. Um, several riders now i have just uh, one first rider and she makes about 10 horses a day i make about it depends of the lesson five to nine and uh, horses and then i have working students and um, they for example during the week i like when the horses go hacking a little for example they do five times a week dressage and one day they go out hacking and these are my working students doing or they lunch them and then all the three years old we don't work every day of course is too much and so we handle this very well and of course we have as the the classical dressage is so healthy we have many horses 25 years old and more for example 31 is actually the oldest horse and of course we have to move him also a little bit every day but not one hour. <laughs> wow. And what breeds are the 50 horses in your, not every single one, but what are the main breeds? Yes, I still have the Lusitanos and the Spanish horses. I have Lipisaner and um, I have the German Warmblood and I have the Haltekiner, of course. I have Arabs, Arabs even of a German state stud. 
so very very good stallions and what else do i have yeah i think this is what i have yes actually mm. but i have a lot of i had even uh, shire horses halflinger uh, western horses quarter horse appaloosa so it's really a, a mix of all wonderful and do the do the quarter horses and uh, do they come in and understand the movements as well as the others? Is there a horse breed that yes, gets the, the, the movements? Movement yes, the movements are no problem. Uh, the problem is that the the Western horses, especially those who competed already, they are often very very deep with the head and neck. They are almost with the nose in the sand. And this is not a natural position to move for a horse because a horse is an animal that can be eaten very, very quick. So uh, normally a horse has to look around always and watch the surrounding that there are no enemies. And when he moves, he had to take the head up and not the nose in the ground. And um, because of that, they are really, when they arrive on the forehand, and we have to bring them back to balance little by little because we start to engage them in the back. We do lateral movements, rein back, we start a little piaf. And then little by little, they find a natural position where the pole is the highest point. Of course, they don't get the neck of an Iberian stallion, uh, but they get a natural, like a horizontal equilibrium. And uh, you can move them very well in piaf flying changes, even pirouettes like the others, but uh, the, they are built, of course, a little bit different. So that we have to respect. Mm, yeah, so they, they're, they can only look as good as they are built. Yes, but of course they are horses, though they have three gates, they know what is a piaf, they know what is a flying change. They are horses, they can do these movements because we don't ask for anything uh, not natural. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's the key, isn't it? Yeah. Is classical dressage is as natural as it can get. So classical dressage was made for fighting? For Why was it created? Yes, I think it's very simple because in the past they, they discovered we can sit on a horse, then we are more fast, we are more strong, uh, we are a little bit more high. Uh, we can go against the enemies much better. And, um, but then it was uh, very early because they started to fight men against men. So from one horse to the next horse. And there they discovered that they have more um, chances to win or to survive most of the time when the horse is very well ridden when they can turn the horse just with body language and can do with their hands other things. And more easy they can control the horse, uh, more or better it was or more sure it was to survive. And that's why people started in the past to train horses. And uh, the, the biggest goal was always self-carriage and uh, very fine aids because you have to do other things later. Wow. This is, for example, the reason why classical dressage uh, had uh, survived a long time in Portugal because they have the bullfight. Uh, 
And we can think about the bullfight, whatever we want. I don't like it very much, but the truth is that the bullfight is a little bit the same as you fight from one man to another man on a horse. So you have not the, the man against you, but the bull. And he moves very quick. He's coming from the front, from behind, from by side. And you have the reins just in one hand. And you have to control your horse with very fine aids, very quick. And so you have a little bit the situation of the, the war. And uh, that's why classical dressage survived a long period in Portugal. Mm, thank goodness it's still alive today and making a, a pretty big comeback if we've got anything to do with uh, it. Yes. Um, I see on your bio as well, there's um, Circus, I might get this wrong, is it Circus Crone? Yes. Tell me about This that. is the biggest circus we have in Europe. And for, yes, almost 30 years, I train horses for them, uh, but just the high school horses, the Liberty horses, they train themselves because they need the arena for that. But the horses under the saddle for them is good if you have uh, straight lines in the beginning. And they like to have the horses trained very, very classical because normally they can use them, the Lipisanas and so on in the show until they are 28, 29. So they can ride the horses very, very long. But they give me the horse for training minimum seven or eight years. Wow. So imagine they come when they are three years old and then stay, they stay about eight years. And um, yes, then of course they have a horse that is really... Uh, getting very old and stays healthy. That is, circuses can sometimes get a bad rap, but that is one that is uh, definitely worth going to see. How fantastic that they take such good care of their horses. Yes, they do for all animals they have. They do everything. And sometimes, you know, with the horse owners, if you call a vet, it's, ah, why are you called the vet? And was it necessary? With the circus, for example, I never had this problem. They always told me from the beginning, it's better to call the vet once, uh, one time too often. And maybe it was not necessary, it's not a problem. But if you are not sure, always call the vet if there's something. Mm. And um, yes, with other owners, it's more complicated often. Yes, yes, very much so. Yeah. Wow. So what, as we begin to wrap up, what would you like everyone listening to know today? Uh, sorry. What would you like everyone listening to know today? What's one thing that you can give to us today that we can, other than yes. your amazing story, what's one thing you yes. can tell us? I think it's very important when we write, um, doesn't matter what, what discipline we do, show jumping or whatever, is that we always uh, think for the horse, that we always stay calm and patient, uh, that we, we always try to make an analysis what the horse needs, what is maybe the problem. Because one thing is sure, it's never the problem that the horse doesn't want. It's always the problem that the horse maybe physically is not able to do what we want because that's the problem in, in training horses under the saddle is not like other animals. For example, your dog has to understand uh, the aids or what you tell him, for example, sit or down. They have to understand and then they have to be willing to do it, a dog, and he can do it. 
-hmm. But the horse is, in these two points, is the same. The horse has to understand your aids, so needs good education. And then, of course, he is normally willing to do it. But the problem is, as we are sitting on the horse's back and we break his natural balance, and sometimes we even don't sit in the center, we are hanging to one side, we are hanging maybe on his forehand, uh, we make it difficult for him to use his back, and then we put the horse in a situation, physically he cannot do what we ask for. And that's the problem. And that's the moment where very often the training starts to be very unfair, because we think, he understood very well. He's not willing to do it, but the problem is the poor horse is willing, but he cannot. So, for example, if I have the horse not straight, he cannot do the flying change in a good way. And I think, ah, he learned it already, why he doesn't do it? And then I start to kick him, or I take auxiliary reins, or I push him, but the horse is not in a, physically in the condition to do a good flying change. So we have to do always an analysis why the problem does exist. We have to think. We should use more our brains than our muscles. And uh, we should think how we can help the horse to be able to do what we want. That's the point. Wow. Mm. And imagine if everyone in the world riding today did just that. <laughs> Yes, that would be paradise for horses. <laughs> that would be paradise for horses. How magnificent. Can you tell us where it is that we can reach you? How can we find you? Yes, it's um, on my website, of course, Anja Beran. And there you find my email address. And yes, I think this is the easiest way. And of course, we have Facebook and um, Instagram we also have. Wonderful. Yeah, they're the only two I have as well. Yes, and you also can find me on We Horse. They make um, short training movies and we also have some movies on We Horse. Yes. Ah, wonderful. How do you spell that? We Horse. Um, w I, no, W E. Yeah. Horse. Yeah. We ah. Horse. Awesome. Yeah. I'm going to check that one out as well. That sounds yeah. very interesting. And of course, you can find my. Uh, on ELO page, you can find uh, my online course, even in English language. And I think there you really get a deep inside view in what we do. Yes, definitely worth looking at, especially that one where you've done the comparisons. How fantastic. And on your website awesome. as well, when um, yeah. any person like me who only speaks English goes onto your website, just go up to the top right corner and it can you can yes. actually change it to English so it's in two languages and you can yes on our yes on our online course we have more than five hours uh, videos how we write and how we do work in hand and I think this is very interesting for everybody who wants to train his horse in a classical way yes yeah I love the idea that somebody in outback Australia who is riding to you know round up cattle every day can actually now get access to classical dressage techniques and, yeah. and really build their yeah. horse. I, I love, this is what I love about yeah. the world and, and that we have now yeah. and how we're all so connected. It's a beautiful yeah. thing. Yes. And once a year we make an international workshop here on our farm. And that's very interesting because we have, most of the time we have guests from more than 21 nations. Wow. And even from Australia, New Zealand, we had guests. 
from United States, from Russia, from Cyprus, from uh, Emirates, everywhere. And it's in English, it's one week. And we just explain what we do. We have every day another topic, for example, one day just young horses. And we explain how we break them in, how we do the first work in hand with different horses, of course. And the people, they just watch and they can ask questions. And sometimes we make a lecture in between. And um, we, we do this for more than 10 years. This year, now 2020, was the first time that we couldn't do it because of COVID. Mm. And all the other years we made it. And I saw many, many movies of uh, riders who came every year. And they developed so much with the horses. It's unbelievable because normally it's not like a lesson. They just watch and ask questions and then they went back home and they start to ride the horses in a different way. Wow. And I'm remembering now that you said earlier, you when you said Russia there, you, you've just gotten into a, a breed of Russian horse. Yes. Tell me a bit about that. Yes, I have two Achaltikiner is the name of the horse. They are famous as the golden horses of Russia because they have this golden shine. And I have one of my own. Uh, I traveled to Moscow <laughs> because I wanted to find a horse like this. They are very, very intelligent. They start normally their life as race horses. So mine also, he was a race horse for one year before I bought him. Wow. And um, then I started to ride him in a classical way. And now he's seven years old. He arrived here when he was four. Now he's seven and he knows all the lateral movements in walk, trot and canter. He starts to do a flying change. He knows counter canter. He starts to do piaf, passage, Spanish walk, kneeling. And it's really a pleasure to ride this horse because they have such a good canter. They are horses to do. Uh, a lot of canter work and they are very ele elegant and they are very fixed on one person so you cannot give this horse today this rider and tomorrow another then you have really a big problem they want to know the person they work with and they are just for they even told me before just for one person and um, there's a small problem also in this yeah <laughs> in this intelligence and character for example when he's out on the field is always me or myself who has to go to pick him up because uh, the the horse he doesn't want to go with the grooms no chance they call him and they try to catch him but he doesn't come and then i have to walk myself and when i'm just 50 meters away he's coming in full canter to the gate and i just take him and he said yes why why are you coming only now i was yes. waiting for you <laughs> with these guys i don't go <laughs> yes why are you sending these people you are my person yes. <laughs> wow now yes. i have another one a second one a stallion and it's a little bit the same it's very intelligent very special but it's a pleasure to ride also Yes, wonderful. Oh, it sounds amazing. I'm just looking through your website and there it's just a it's a beautiful website as well. You actually have a, a garden on your website too, you. and where you can actually see um where it is that you come from, which is just incredible. Me being on yes. the side of the world, the animal life and the, the plant life is amazing. It's very different to here. 
yes yes it's really green and um but i have to say we are almost on 1000 meters so we are very close to the mountains and of course actually starts to be very cold and we have very uh, strong winters here with lots of snow and really cold mm -hmm. so it's just in summer where it's all really green <laughs> ah yes we have the opposite we're going through a heat wave at the moment here yeah. in australia and it's uh, it's we're okay where we are we have a little pocket where we don't have very extreme temperatures we're just generally warm to hot we don't yeah, get no, too no. cold here so yeah, yeah from minus 20 in winter to plus Ooh. 30 35 in summer so it's a big difference that is a very big difference I think the coldest we get here overnight, a cold night here in, in ours is about eight degrees Celsius overnight. Oh. <laughs> That's our cold winter night. Sometimes still, you might get a zero, but it's very rare. Yeah. That's still warm. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. That's why I like it. Um, thank you so much for joining me today, Anya. What an amazing um, and, and wonderful thing that you are doing. And uh, I'm so grateful that for everything that you're doing for horses in the world. And boy, I hope classical dressage takes over and it's just dressage one day. There's no modern and there's no classical. It just, we go back to taking over and saying, this is what dressage really is. Yes, that would be great. <laughs> mm. Wonderful. Thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate speaking to you. Yes, thank you for inviting me. I'm on a mission to create a community of conscious horse people so that their horses all over the world can live a better life. This is a big mission with a wonderful message and it needs your help. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to join me on my mission of making the world a better place for horses by bringing consciousness to the horse world, please do one of the following. You can go over to our Patreon page at patreon p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash come along for the ride podcast and become a subscriber to the show as patreon members you're helping this podcast become a weekly show once again and remember any funds that go over the cost of production will go into new and exciting projects that you as a subscriber will have a say in you could also pop over to edenriverequestrian.com and see our range of sustainable, ethical and organic gear for both horses and humans. Remember, 50% of profits go back to helping horses all over the world live a better life. Or you could leave us a review and tell the world why you love this podcast. You can do that through whichever app it is that you're listening now. The best place to do it is through iTunes. They give juice that gives other bits juice that boost the podcast up and basically that gets it into more people's ears so that we can make a real difference in the world you could also share this podcast with a friend tell everyone you know about it and guide them to an episode that you think they'd really enjoy all the links you need can be found in the show notes thanks again for listening and i'll catch you next time on come along for the ride